Welcome to the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Dalglish, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Bones-Bouts. We have a special one for you today. We're talking winter transfer window. We're covering the needs and some potential signings for some of the top English teams. We also have a quick recap of Match Week 16 results. We highlight the matches we're looking forward to this coming weekend, and we wrap it up with something special for you. We're highlighting our favorite bets for Match Week 17. This is Episode 12. Let's get started. First of all, Happy New Year by the time you listen to this. Second of all, we have good news and bad news for you today. The bad news, despite getting a ton of positive feedback on the introduction of the good, bad, and ugly analysis on match recaps, we're going to take a break from it for this week. The good news is that it'll be back next week, and uh, we're only taking a break so we can make sure to talk winter transfer window this episode. But before we get into that, let's just get you guys up to speed with a quick recap of the more notable results from this past week and also what the table looks like before going into match week 17. So for the quick recap, first thing that we want to note is some bad news with postponements two COVID outbreaks. So Everton versus city outbreak amongst the man city squad and then Tottenham versus Fulham outbreak amongst the Fulham squad. What's interesting now is the Premier League is considering a two-week break at some point. There's been mixed re- uh, mixed reporting on this, whether it's true or not. I, If it's true, I, I don't get it. I, I don't see how that would help at all. My thought is you have a bunch of millionaire, arguably children, uh, you're giving them a two-week break. Uh, if they're going to be training or not is questionable. If they're going to be training, then it's not really a break. If they aren't training just see Jack Grealish in the last lockdown. Let's look at what Neymar's planning with some crazy Brazilian underground 150 person, 500 person party with soundproof walls. I just, I don't see how a two week break is actually going to help with anything. Bones, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, the way that we've been living all throughout the COVID era it's up to people to really take ownership of their own actions. And, you know, you can quarantine for two weeks, you can do whatever, but these millionaire babies are going to do whatever they want, whether it's Kyle Walker having a, a hooker party at his apartment, which was what he did at the beginning of COVID. Separately, you know, you can get it regardless of whether you quarantine for two weeks and then start the season up again. It, you could get it going to the gas station on the way to the park. You, you, do, just shutting down for the sake of shutting down doesn't make any sense to me. I think they just need to maybe put in place stricter protocols for, and, and, and stricter um, repercussions for, for violating. Yeah. Yeah. It seems weird. I, I don't think they'll end up going through with it just because, some reasonable person will finally say, hey, like this isn't going to fix our problem. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving on to actual results. Lots of draw points, actually. So we'll start with Leicester versus Palace, highlighting the fact that Leicester's in the top four. And uh, yeah, they, they ended up drawing with Palace. Bones, what are your thoughts on this? 
So I thought it was a pretty entertaining match. There's a lot of scoring chances, not particularly great finishing, but you know, hey, all of us can't be Robert Lewandowski. But Saha was superb, and I have to actually apologize for not giving Harvey Barnes more credit last week for his banger and for the season that he's having because he showed out again this week. And I think overall it kind of just highlighted how Lester needs Vardy in the lineup to be effective and to win. Right. And Nacho was horrible. His penalty was uninspiring. So I, I, I just, other than these Harvey Barnes bangers, I don't know where else they're, they're going to be yeah. getting their goals. Yeah, they're not getting much production. I think they got by most of, at least early last season, with James Madison was playing out of his mind before lockdown, and so they were getting goal production from him. And, uh, you know, he's starting to warm up again, but, yeah, that's that basically outside of Vardy. It's just uh, Harvey Barnes. All right, and Chelsea versus Villa. This was a big-time matchup. I mean, both two teams. Chelsea was recently thinking that they could be title contenders uh not looking so great now but definitely should expect to finish in the top four and villa is a surprise team that is well informed despite injuries and you know if you look at the table today they're not in the top four but i think they actually have two games in hand so they're playing well they they win those two games in hand they're they're right up there with pretty much all the other teams so ended up being a draw definitely i think I think Villa's happy with it, and I think Chelsea was frustrated by that. What do you think? I thought that the front three that Chelsea started with was fantastic. I agree. I think that Chelsea was frustrated. I also think that Christensen was entirely at fault for the first goal because he was flopping around on the on the pitch when he should have just been up running back on defense, and they wouldn't have conceded that goal. I think Aston Villa was a bit unlucky that they didn't win um, because I think they were particularly deadly at at the end of the match. And I thought that, you know, Werner was again unproductive. So I think, and, and, and Conte had a horrible attempt on goal. So when you're looking to your defensive midfielder to help make a push forward, it's not a good sign. I think that Chelsea needs a little bit of a break to just collect themselves and, and try to piece together their best lineup. But right now they they look like a frustrated team, not just just because of this match, but because of how things have been going, particularly in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, they're really kind of sputtering out right now. Okay, another notice, no, notable result. Not for top four implications, but just because they've been the joke of the season so far. Arsenal got their second win in a row. Big time win against a pesky Brighton. Really, it it's kind of a flipped... For me, watching this match was kind of flipped based on how all other matches have gone for Arsenal. I think Arsenal's gotten really unlucky with a lot of their results. You know whether it's unlucky or they shoot themselves in the foot. And then in this match, I thought Brighton was clearly the better team and had way more opportunities, but Arsenal pulled off the win. Again, uh, we talked about it with their young players in the last match against Chelsea stepping up and they did it again, mainly Saka. He's, I mean, he's, he looks like the real deal. I mean, that he's exciting to watch. He's fun to watch. What are your thoughts, Bones? 
Sokka is incredibly quick. He just is a little bit undisciplined, which is understandable for that young of a player. So hopefully he'll continue to progress. But part of that is being able to play top-tier European football. And I doubt that they make Europa League. They're definitely not going to make Champions League. So they they need to figure out how to continue to help him progress. Mm-hmm. But they do have great young talent. I agree. Brighton should be a little disappointed that they didn't come away with some points here. Right. Burnt Leno had probably his best game I've ever seen him play in an Arsenal shirt. So, I mean, good for him that he's starting to to carry the team because they do need some, you know, solid rock and, and guiding force because Aubameyang is no longer that. I mean, his finishing has been and continues to be from this match piss poor and their defense looks very shaky. I, I don't know what the correct mixture of center backs. I think Rob Holding is doing okay, but ultimately he's not particularly athletic. Right. He's not overly fast, not overly skilled. Has shown some promise with his head on set pieces, but otherwise they just are a bunch of misfit pieces that I don't know how they did you really see, uh, put it together. Did you see Werner's quote I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head but after the Chelsea Arsenal match he, he specifically said I think he complimented holding basically saying that like he's a great defender and I was like oh yeah. man Werner if you're if you're coming to the Premier League from the Bundesliga and uh you're saying holding's a fantastic defender oh, yeah that's that's not uh, a good sign he's in for a rough go this season yeah okay but, uh go ahead but it's interesting because I, that's ha- that has to j- just be a deflection for the f- for the fact that he sucks. Yeah, Werner sucks <laughs> because Rob Holding would not have even come close to starting for Leipzig, Bayern, Dortmund. So I, I also it has to be isn't he like up. isn't he like the ideal defender for Werner? Meaning that Werner can just blow by him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, well. here we are. <laughs> okay. Here we are on. with with the. Uh, with the sitter count for Vernon. Yeah. So yep. Still at six, right? He didn't have, he didn't miss any sitters. Um, no. Okay. So moving on uh, quick, quick touch on Southampton and West Ham. They drew, this is, this is significant. I mean, it, on paper, I think people can glance over this, but you know, both of these teams came out hot to, to start the season so at times. West Ham was just outside the top four. Southampton was in the top four. They're not far off still, but, they seem to be kind of spluttering out a little bit, which I think is kind of what you'd expect from these teams. It was more of a surprise that they were really pushing. And I think that's where they're going to settle in. You know, maybe best case scenario, you know, maybe Southampton can qualify for Europa League, but I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's realistic, especially they've just struggled without Danny Ings. He's just, it shows how important he is for that team. So yeah, they, they drew zero zero, I believe. And uh, yeah. Sort of, sort of slowing down. Next match, United versus Wolves. Kind of a slog of a match. I thought it was a great defensive performance by Wolves. They definitely packed it in, and whether you criticize that strategy or not, it was it worked. I mean, they got as close to getting a point or maybe even getting all three points as you could with that strategy. Uh, fortunately for me, United pulled off the win in the 93rd minute, a... 
over the top ball from Bruno Fernandez to Rashford. Rashford cut in and got a very, very helping deflection to to get the goal. Bones, what's your thought on this? It's unfortunate for Wolves because I, I think they probably deserved the point. I thought your boy Pedro Neto played really well. He was dangerous. I also, at one point, was a naysayer of Ruben Neves, and he played really well. He had yep. an absolute cracker that De Gea just just uh, was able to save. I thought this was probably the best all-around performance I've seen De Gea have in quite some time. It was showing flashes of kind of his old brilliance. Mm-hmm. And I also thought that Patricio had a very good match other than the unfortunate goal that, that United scored in the 93rd. Which was not his fault at all. Right, exactly. Um, so overall, an entertaining match. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it kind of shows a bit of a turning point and, and just shows that that Wolves are a resilient team and probably will stick around in the conversation for the entire season. Yep. They still don't have a goal scorer. They they need no. to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, which I think is is very difficult to do in the January tra- transfer window. So it remains to be seen what they do. But um, I also thought it was funny. Um, Wolves played like a two five three, and their five midfielders were all Portuguese. Yeah, it's. I think that's just the missing piece for them. I mean, Raul Jimenez goes down, they just can't score a goal now. But all their other pieces are pretty good. I mean, their defense yeah. is okay, but you highlighted two two players that I'm, I'm very fond of. Pedro Neto has stepped up in such a big way this year, and I he's he's definitely their best attacking threat right now. He's definitely more dangerous than uh, Traore. Traore, I mean, he had a great season last year, but I have not been impressed with him this year. And then I'm a big fan of Ruben Neves. He's a great defensive midfielder. He's, I think he's underrated. He shows up every match. And plus, he, I've never seen someone take so many shots from outside the box and almost always get them on target. He hasn't scored a lot of goals, but there's been some great saves on the other end of it. And, you know, getting those on target. moving. Yeah. So, big fan of his. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously I'm a United fan, so I'm very happy with the result. You know, I don't think the team the team played particularly well. Bruno was awful for most of the match. It just shows his quality that he's ultimately going to be involved with the the game winning goal. Same with Rashford; he looked he looked a little bit rough. Uh, just they couldn't get much going, and I think it's more credit to Wolves' defense. They played they played perfectly, um, pretty much. I mean, you can't even their defense on the on the goal was they had three guys in front of Rashford. It just yeah. didn't work out. You know, overall entertaining match, but as a United fan, I, I'm sure that you are pumped going into the new year with, with three points. Yeah, yeah, I just need to get past Aston Villa, which is not a simple task. Yeah, it's easier said than done, for sure. Okay, last match we want to chat about is the shocking result of Liverpool-Newcastle 0-0 draw. Uh, the only analysis I have from this is I've never seen so many clearances off the line in a single match. Newcastle had some sort of angels in the outfield clearing everything out of there. It was unbelievable. What are your thoughts on this, Bones? Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a kind of a tale of how ugly Liverpool's finishing was. I thought that Nathaniel Phillips played particularly poorly in the back. 
which is why they need to be somewhat active in the January transfer window to, to shore up their defense. But I think this is another example of Newcastle's resilience. I think they're not going to be a great team, but they're going to fight each and every game. And they may lose 5-2 to Leeds, but they, they can also pull out results like this. And I, I think I think they're a, a solid team. They're not a strong team, but they will give you – They'll give you a, a, a fight every match. I will like to um, to highlight, though, that this was DeAndre Yeldon's first start of the year. So U.S. men's national team fans going to be happy about that. Is it his that first? I think it was his first start of the year. Oh, I thought he played last one. Oh. Uh, either way. Regardless, at least he's back on the pitch. Yeah. He had kind of been frozen out at the beginning of the year. Um, and he was working towards either a transfer to – Turkey or back to the MLS. Not that he's the be all and end all because ultimately Serginio Dest will probably be playing on the right. And then hopefully Anthony Robinson gets a, another crack at, on the left. Yeah. But at least he provides some cover and he had, he's one of the only people in the camp or that could be in camp that has world cup experience other than John Brooks. Right. So just being able to, bring that in that leadership and that guidance into the camp. It, I think it, it could go a long way. Yeah. I, I, I agree with all of that. The one thing you said a little while ago about Newcastle is their resilience. And I, I, it's so weird. If you didn't look at the table and you didn't look at the results and you just watched them play in a match, you'd say this team is going to get relegated. I think they're garbage. They rely on a single player, Colin Wilson, I think he scored nearly half of their goals and there's just no organization. There's no nothing to them. They, I mean, for, for, for every result they have, you know, they, they just drew with Liverpool. So it's pretty remarkable, but on the flip side, you mentioned the Leeds loss. I can go one step further. They played Brentford last week. Not only did they lose to Brentford, they lost to the backup Brentford team. They sat most of their That's starters. Right, yeah. So, I, yeah, I can't figure it out. I mean, they're my thought is that they're still trying to sell the team, and the current ownership is saying, "Hey, we have Steve Roos. We just need you to get results to keep us in the Premier League, so that the price doesn't have to drop, and we're not really aspiring to do anything besides just survive at this point." Which, yeah. at this rate, they're going to because they're getting these random big time results. Yeah, but I, I mean, for Newcastle fans, this this has to be continuously devastating. That you know, you lose a big manager in uh, Rafa Benitez, and prior to that, they had been relegated to the Championship. Yeah, I mean, these guys used to be stalwarts in the Premier League. They used to be, you know, competing for Champions League or the title. It, it's got to be sad to see, and it's mostly comes down to Mike Mike Ashley being a scumbag and just being a, a terrible owner. And yeah. it, it's been a campaign for years to get him out. And obviously this summer there was a huge push by a Saudi consortium to, to take it over, which ultimately didn't happen. But yeah, you've got to wonder how much longer he can hold on because it, there's going to be a mutiny of some sort. So like that group that would have taken over for, uh, Newcastle, their combined wealth would have been greater than I think all the other owners of the Premier League combined. It was something crazy like that. Jesus. Cool. All right, so we're going to give a table recap. Here we go. Liverpool, still on top of the table. They earned a point this week. 
or you could say they drop points. They definitely drop points. They probably should have gotten three, but they're still top of the table with 33 points. United now sit alone in second with 30 points and a game in hand. They go even on points with Liverpool if they win their game in hand, but they won't take the top spot unless they beat, I think, Aston Villa 9-0, so I don't expect that to happen. Liverpool's goal differential is just far superior. Leicester, Leicester sitting in third after a draw in the midweek. Uh, They're actually even on points with Everton. Everton obviously sits in fourth due to goal differential, but Everton also has a game in hand because of the postponement of their match this, this past week. And then this is the crazy part. So right now, fifth through ninth all have 26 points. Absolutely insane. So in order, it goes Villa, who have two games in hand, then Chelsea, Tottenham. Tottenham has one game in hand. Then Manchester City, two games in hand, and then Southampton. So although there's a sort of cluster of 26-point teams, they a lot of them have multiple games in hand. So well, there will be some separation there you'd expect. But it just shows how tight the top four is. I mean, re- realistically, I think eight – Eight, yeah, I would say eight to maybe nine teams that realistically could finish top four this year, which is nuts. Okay, so bottom of the table, we got still sitting in 20th. I think uh, I might need to just stop saying this. I think it should be expected. Sheffield United right at home, 20th, 20th spot with two points. West Brom in 19th with eight points. Leeds just put the boots to them this past week. So, you know, Sam Allardyce was flying high, getting a point off of Liverpool. And then Leeds just uh, said, hey, this is how you're supposed to do it, Liverpool. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a definitely a tough initial goal, though, with – I don't know if you saw the uh, Sawyer's own goal. Yeah. Just, that was so brutal to watch. And obviously that then led to – it was almost like a, a waterfall effect of just – Right, because they can't sit on. back. They can't sit back anymore, and you get a little bit spread out, and that's when leads will kill you. Okay, and the last spot will be Fulham in 18th. Their match got postponed, so they do have a game in hand. They're sitting there with 11 points, and that's going to do it for our week 16 match week 16 recap. I'm losing losing track of the what match week it is because we just had three match weeks in a week period, I feel like. Okay, so before we move on, next segment is going to be the... We're going to chat a little bit about winter transfer window. We really highlighted the top eight teams that we think have realistic shots of at least finishing maybe top four or in the Europa League spot. But before we get to that, we have one favor to ask. If you're listening still and you haven't done it already, could you please give us a subscribe? It means a lot to us. It'd be pretty cool. It'd be a great Christmas gift. Yeah. Oh, and if you're on Apple, give us a five-star rating. And if on Spotify, give us a follow. Winter transfer window. Everyone loves to talk about it. It usually ends up being pretty disappointing. Rumors are flying. People get all excited. And then not much normally happens. Before we get into it, I want to give my general thought on this window. And I think there's going to be a certain theme to it, especially for the teams that we're going to be talking about. And I think it's uh, the the word that comes to mind is fortifying. I think that teams are already seeing 
how thin they are. Uh, they're getting spread way too thin. There's been matches every three days. There's injuries piling up. And because of how late last season went, the abbreviated preseason, uh, the abbreviated time off, teams, players are, are just running on fumes. And I think coming out of this holiday, this holiday sort of fixture schedule, we're going to see some very tired legs. And I think that although we're – so basically what I'm getting at is I think that this might be one of the more active January windows that we have seen. It's just a hunch. It doesn't really make sense if you're looking at it from a financial point of view because most teams are hurting financially. But I don't think that there's going to be any big money transfers. I think it's all going to be third string striker or third string midfielder just to give you some insurance. And then, you know, when you have some weak opponent, you can kind of slot them in to rest a a starter. And I think there could be a lot of these going on and whether they're full-time transfers or, or loan deals, I just, I expect that's how it's going to go because teams are are really, really seeing how tough the season is going to be. Yeah. And and I expect that there will be more loan moves than outright player sales. Mm Mm-hmm. I just think that um, particularly in, in this market, a lot of teams for outright sales, you're looking at the long term and a lot of the players that are kind of on the chopping block right now or are potential transfers are uh, long term transfers are guys that would cost way too much. And there's mm-hmm. one would think that City's probably the only team that can really afford it. Right. Um, so. I'm I, I'm thinking that there's going to be a lot of six month transfers or uh, loan moves, and much fewer um, outright sales. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think you might be onto something there. Let's get started. Uh, we'll we'll start with the top team, top team in the league right now. We got Liverpool Bones. What's their budget looking like? So it's pretty minimal. This was kind of their story in the summer as well, which is. As New Englanders and fans of the Red Sox, obviously they're owned by Fenway Sports Group and LeBron. They've got money. They just don't want to admit it. And that was part of the whole drawn out debate and negotiation for Tiago, where they said, oh, we don't have $25 million for Tiago. Bullshit. However, they're claiming to be poor. In theory, they could get an extra $5 million from the Coutinho deal if he reached a certain amount of appearances, but he's going to be out for four months with knee surgery, so it's probably not going to happen. What I'm thinking is that they may be able to earn something from player sales that's going to come in the form of Shakiri and Origi, most likely. Long shots, but possibilities could be trying to sell Wijnaldum to Barcelona, which you know, Kuman being there, him being the former Netherlands uh, national team coach, he's really said that he wants Wijnaldum at Barcelona. They probably won't be able to get too, too much, given that his contract is up uh, this coming summer. The other possibility is Oxlade-Chamberlain. Klopp loves him, but he's often injured. He's not getting a lot of run, and Oxlade-Chamberlain is probably thinking – and more looking towards first team minutes for next next summer's Euros. So those are the possibilities that I saw. Trev, what do you got? Yeah, I think I think I agree with all those. I think, yeah, the tough part with Wijnaldum is that he is 
sort of his contracts up at the end of the year. So they probably can't get much for him um, and probably want to milk it as long as possible to try to convince him to stay. And then the Oxlade Chamberlain one, I, I would be shocked. Again, I think from a business standpoint, it doesn't really make sense. I think, like you said, Klopp loves him. He also is just coming back from injury. So I think his lack of time in the midfield, a lot of it has to do with the injuries he had, has had. And whether you argue that maybe that's a good reason to offload him, the problem is, is his value is probably at the lowest it has been in probably his entire career. So at the very least, they probably would like to get the second half of the season with him getting some reps and proving that he's healthy and that he's, you know, he's still talented and, and can get something done before selling him. So that, that's the, those are the only two ones I, I could kind of poke holes in, but I, I agree with everything else. So with that being said, what are the positional needs you think? So, I, I mean, this one's clear in, in what we've kind of been harping on throughout the, throughout the past number of segments. Um, they need to invest in their defense, center back specifically. Mm-hmm. They just need to get in, I think, seasoned veterans that um, – and that kind of brings in the, the issue of short-term loans or, or long-term buys. But they need to bring in some veteran stability and, and presence in the back. Uh, because obviously, while they're younger center backs that they've been using as kind of a, a you know a, a rotation, they just aren't mature enough to get the job done. So they could, I mean, in theory, they, they'd want to target kind of the bigger names of Upamakano, Kulabali, and Alaba. That's not going to happen in this transfer window, particularly because of those those constraints. Um, the budget constraints. Mm-hmm. So what I think is realistic, an option is a long-term buy of Antonio Rudiger. He wants out of Chelsea. He's German works, has worked with Klopp in the past um, or, or they're knowledgeable of each other's game. It would give him a fresh start, but also in the premier league. Although I, it sounds like he's more partial to a move to PSG. So that may not work, nor do I know if Chelsea really wants to ship him off to another title contender. Yeah, I think especially Lampard, Lampard and his uh, his relationship with Klopp. I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, the other ideas I had for six month loan deals, maybe going in for a Phil Jones or a Marcos Rojo. Those are pretty shitty options, but possible. The other one I have is looking at Dan Axel's Agadou out of Borussia Dortmund. Obviously. Klopp has a great relationship with Dortmund. Um, and Zagadou has had some injury problems, but at one time he was tagged, tabbed as their next best hope for um, the center back position. Injuries kind of stymied that. But to get him some regular game time, why not take him on, take him on a six-month loan deal and um, get him to, to you know stretch his legs? Yeah. I, I, don't, I can't really poke holes in any of that. I agree. I mean, the number one obvious spot is the center back role. And uh, yeah, those big money transfers, Upa Meccano, Alaba, it's just not going to happen in this window. So uh, I, I definitely expect that in the summer, them to make a good push for him. But they just kind of need depth at this point because they're one injury away to their center back to basically having like Milner <laughs> playing center back or something crazy like that. Okay, we're going to move on. Next up, Manchester United. What do you got for budget for them? 
ESPN's reporting that's around 50 million pounds, but I, I, you knowing more than me, I feel like they could say that, but Woodward's not going to be spending 50 million pounds in this window. I, 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 I'm not even convinced that Woodward's going to spend anything. Right. Um, so, you know, they could get some, some, some money from player sales. They obviously want to offload Marcos Rojo and Phil Jones. Um, they also have wanted to offload Sergio Romero, although it's really dependent on whether Dean Henderson sticks around or really pushes for a loan move for first team football. If that happens, then they're going to have to keep Sergio Romero. One thing that I thought may happen is do they sell Fosu Mensa because he's refusing to sign a contract extension? I don't know. And then lastly, a little bit of money is going to be freed up from a salary perspective because Igalho is returning to China. Right, right. So, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, that's reported 50 million pounds. I think even if Woodward's willing to spend it, he's such a moron when it comes to these no- negotiations that it will drag out to the final day and then ultimately something will happen. He'll say, you know, a team will quote a player at 25 million and he'll say, okay, I'll give you 15 million. They'll say no 25 and they'll say, okay, 18. And that will go back and forth until the last day. And then he'll say, okay, 25 million. And then the deadline will have passed. So that's how I expect it to go. All right. But in a, you know, we can, we can dream a little bit. So let's talk about their positional needs. I'm going to take this one. And I think the obvious ones are center back McGuire, Lindelof, they just get burned too much. I think they have qualities in their own right. They're too similar of players, and they don't have any pace. So that's super important for United to get. I think arguably more important would also be kind of a leader in the back line, someone that will be the field general for them. It's ironic. I've mentioned it in previous episodes, but I just don't think Maguire is much of a leader, even though he's our captain. I, I still don't get that. And, you know, you'll see United's defense will break down. The, the positioning will be off. We'll concede a goal, and Maguire just kind of mopes. And we need someone that will turn around and say, hey, listen, like Luke Shaw, you got sucked in because you were ball watching. Or, you know, Aaron Wambasaka, you weren't looking over your shoulder at, at that player that was cutting in. You need to – that's your guy. You need to keep track of where he is. We lack that right now. So – Center back, definitely. And then the other need that I think is as soon as possible is a right wing. Uh, Right now, they don't have a right winger. We have rolled out Greenwood, and Greenwood's been good at it. Last year, after lockout, he was fantastic. This season, he's been kind of slow to get going. Plus, the long-term view of him is he's actually a nine. So getting more reps with him there would be ideal. But outside of Greenwood, we've been rolling out Dan James, and I, I don't even want to get started on him, and also playing Juan Mata there. So we really don't have a right ruling. And, you know, it was obvious Manchester United made it clear last year, big saga with Sancho. They, they want to address that, but didn't get the job done, as I just talked about Woodward's negotiation process. So for me right now, center back and right wing, and then maybe if they can get a – center like a defensive midfielder that'd be nice i just don't think it's a as high of the priority as those other two positions what are your thoughts yeah i agree um you know it's tough because i do think that to your point they do need that leadership in the center back role 
I think if Eric Bailey is is able to stay just so healthy, you know, it's it's Bailey, Bailey. All right, dude. <laughs> I let it go. How, the how, last do you, episode. how do you pronounce Suchek again? Suchek. How many weeks did that, did that take you? Two. Quite a few. Two. Moving on. They need they need some support, obviously in 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 their central defense. I think Bailey has played really well the, the past two matches that he's started. Uh, and hopefully that brings a little bit more stability because he brings a different dynamic than uh, Maguire and, and Lindelof. With that said, you can't really count on him because of his injury woes. And considering he's, uh, he's prone to rash tackles that lead to red cards. Right. I, you know, it, it's tough because I, I just don't know of, of players that, you know, are, are, are consistently fit, are young enough that are able, that would be a long-term option that also provide that, that leadership quality. One option that I think is an interesting option, something almost a blast from the past for, from a Woodward uh, transfer gone wrong, Jerome Boateng. Obviously he's playing a pivotal role for, for Bayern, but you know, with their, their defensive contingent right now, he's he's probably going to be leaving in the summer. They'd love to get something for him. And that's also contingent on if they have to offload David Alba. If they don't and they are able to re-sign him, maybe Boateng's kind of surplus to requirements. And then Nicholas Sula just slides back into Boateng's role. He's an option. He, he wouldn't be overly expensive. So definitely an option. Um, you know, a lot of reports about Max Aaron's coming up from from Norwich. Um, Tariq Lamp Lamptey from from Brighton. He me, could fill me, into that right wing role. Wait, um, let me cut you off. Let me just uh, to add context. So Max Aaron's, just in case you don't know the name, he's a Norwich right back defender. Yeah, uh, United. There's been a lot of rumbling of United wanting to bring in someone to spell Aaron Juan Bisp- Aaron Juan Bissaka, but also have someone compete with him and i've been a little iffy on it because i we have uh dallow on loan with ac milan and he's been playing all right for them and then also we have brandon williams who is normally plays on the left but he's right footed so why isn't he playing on the right but after watching the last match against wolves watching aaron wambasaka i know it's nothing new but it was just so obvious to me and i've kind of been uh, in denial but he he can't he doesn't offer much going forward and it was killing us whereas max aarons is the exact opposite where maybe his defensive quality is sometimes questionable but going forward he can be very dangerous yeah i, th- I would say you mentioned lamptey too i would say the difference between those two is just because Lamptey's in the premier league right now he's going to be 10 million more when i don't know if he's actually worth 10 million more than max aarons nor do we sure. want to spend 10 million more if it's really going to be a backup that could maybe compete for the starting job. Sure. Um, and then the, the last point I will make, and this is the one that I said a little controversial. I am incredibly and, and fervently unconvinced that they will get Sancho in the summer. Yep. Just not going to happen. I don't think. Yep. So they need to start thinking about potential alternatives that don't necessarily break the bank, but are good options. I think they, they should start thinking about the buyback clause and Memphis Depay's. But he plays contract. on the left. Right. But I also think that we could. Sw- and it's not a buyback. It's a fresh refusal. 
Whatever, dude. No, but it is. It's, no, it's very, they're completely different things. Okay. Um, well, that was the thought that I had because you can play a lot of different roles in the midfield, which I think is somewhat of an issue of 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 United right now. So that's my idea. Yeah. Take it or leave it. I know you hate it. No, I don't. I don't I hate it. I don't like it for the points that you were making. Um, well, I just was correcting you on the buyback thing, but yeah, there was a report that came out recently that he's basically available for like 15 mil or something crazy like yeah. that. That's, I mean, he is worth so much more than that. So, I mean, savvy business is buy him, have him play a little bit and then sell him for 40 mil because that's his real price. So I don't know if it's worth all that headache and he plays on the left. He doesn't play on the right. Yeah. I would add some depth, but again, it's, I wish I want United to start targeting players to fit a system that they're trying to build out. I think in the past they've just bought players to buy players because they're available at a discount. And for a long time, we didn't have an identity and we didn't know who to put where, and it just wasn't working. We need a true right winger. And I, I agree. It's the Sancho thing I'm sort of losing hope on. And also, I don't know if I want my team to spend a hundred mil on a single player when there's multiple holes to fill. Yeah. Um, one guy, I, we don't need to talk about him too much, but another guy that I, I like, that's kind of maybe like a hipster hipster take is a uh, Buendia of Norwich. He plays on the right wing not maybe a prolific goal scorer, but he does create a lot of chances for a very mediocre team and he'd be cheap. And I think he's the type of purchase that even if, you know, he's valued right now at originally the report this past week was like 18 mil. And then Norwich came back saying, no, we want like 25 mil. I think even for 25 mil, it might be worth it. And it's not setting an expectation that he needs to be a starter because we literally don't have a right wing right now. So that could still, if you really wanted to still spend a hundred million on Sancho, that could still bring in Sancho. And then you have a backup in Wendia when Ole's plan is to have two people at each position to really compete. So that's one yeah, I'd but, like. But is it, I remember when Mourinho was in charge, at least he was playing Rashford predominantly on the right. Correct. So yep. was he unserviceable? If you were to it's shift not him about back serviceable, to the right. It's about, it's about getting players into their best positions to build your best team. Rashford is a freak athlete. He's fast. He's a decent goal scorer. You can put him anywhere on the top in the front three, but his best is on the left. So let's put him on the on the left. You know, I don't. I I I'm sick of, I'm sick of saying, hey, let's just buy people for a price, and we'll figure out how to fill fit him in later when we don't end up figuring out how to fit him in. So, I think we should start putting our best players in their best positions and then filling out the rest of the spots. Fair enough. All right. We got to move on. We spent way too much time on that. Uh, Leicester well, city. We were going to spend a lot of time on United. Okay. Next up we got Everton. I, it was hard to get any coverage on their budget. You kind of make the assumption that it's going to be pretty tight unless they can make some player sales. Are there any players uh, you have in mind that they could be looking to ship off? Yeah, so the first and foremost, I think um, Jonas Lossel. He is their third string, uh, third string quarterback. Their third string uh, goaltender. <laughs> um, they've shown that you know Robin Olsen is ahead of him. They probably want to want to buy him from Roma at the end of the year. Um, and Lossel has you know solid um, Bundesliga as well as uh, Premier League experience. They can probably get a little bit for him um, separately. And he's probably on high wages. Separately, I think Fabian Delph and Cenk Dosun in particular are surplus to requirements. Ancelotti, they weren't Ancelotti's guys. He doesn't like them. I'm sure that you can probably get something for both of them. So why not give it a shot? Yeah. 
Yeah, so for positional needs, I think, again, for pretty much every team we've mentioned, they could use more depth at center back. Same targets. The other thing I think they can improve upon is they already invested a ton of money in their midfield in this past summer transfer window, which is proven to be the game changer for them. And I think they could continue to add to that, especially seeing, you know, Hamas has injury history, plus now it's, you know, he has been injured and they've been able to pull off results regardless, but they're still, it's clear that they're not the same team with him, not there. So adding another player to that midfield and one that I thought was interesting, which Again, it's a big question about what their budget is, and I don't even know how much he would cost because it seems like he's he wants out and the club's done with him, but there's been ties to Isco. Oh, yeah. And I think that just might be a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. So that would be one. That's the one I, I had that stuck out of my mind, which I think would be pretty cool to see. It would be yeah. nuts to see James and Isco at Everton. That would be incredible. And right with you, I think they need to strengthen the attack. You know, they've it's been uh, feast or famine kind of getting to their goal. So they need a, another playmaker, maybe another winger. Yeah. So Isco was on my list. Definitely remains to be seen whether they they can do that in January. It might be a little bit too much. Um, Zidane might make up with him again, and it's going to be a, a, a summer type move. Um, the other option that I had, um, maybe kind of a oddball long shot move, but going to Zenit and getting Malcolm. Had failed at Barcelona, did well in, um, I think it was at Bordeaux. Um, but, you know, a really lively winger, central midfielder type that can slot in and out. Didn't do well at, in Barcelona, but is kind of lighting it up in Russia. He was once a really good talent. He might just want to make a, a, another big move to a, a better league. And I think Everton could be a, a good place to slot in. It's a big club, but not too big that there's overwhelming pressure on him. Right. That's interesting. Okay, picking up the pace a little bit here, we're going to move on to Chelsea. Chelsea's budget reported by ESPN was about £20 million, plus potential sales of players. Uh, Bones, uh, you've outlined some potential sales here. There's kind of quite a bit, actually. And as Trev knows, I have always been a proponent of you got to get these guys off the books. Chelsea is notorious for sending guys out on loan, also just carrying a huge, huge, huge roster. So, um, obviously, the, the, the standout here, they got to get rid of Kepa, but because of him being the, the club's record transfer, um, the biggest transfer for, uh, for, a, uh, for a goalkeeper, it's improbable that they will be able to offload him, um, particularly because they want to recover a little bit of, of what, they, what they bought him for. There's no team that's going to pay that much for a goalkeeper right, right. now. Especially um, so, that's more of a summer. Um, they want to try to let go of some combination of Rudiger, Fukayo Tomori, Christensen, Alonzo, and Emerson. Um, obviously not all of them, but some combination. I've got to imagine with Tiago Silva being 36, they're going to want to keep someone around. Lampard loves Tomori, um, but I think Rudiger is the better defender out of all of their current defenders. Um, I think they would love to try to get rid of Drinkwater, Baba Raman, and Charlie Musanda, but probably unlikely that that will happen more likely that they may be able to loan him out. And the last guy, which would be interesting because he's been such an important part of Chelsea's ability to score is Giroud because going into the Euros next year, probably his last um, championship, he's going to want more first team minutes and guaranteed first team minutes. And I don't think Lampard is going to give it to him. So 
it would be interesting if he w- he tries to force a move. Yeah, Lampard seems to only give him minutes when Lampard needs bailing out because his other strikers are not in form. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for me, when I was looking at positional needs, and I, you obviously Chelsea needs a kick in the butt to to get back to the or at least try to reach the expectations they set upon themselves. I don't know if adding players really does that. This was a tough one for me. I think we've talked about their defense has been pretty solid and it's shown a little bit of leaks just recently. And so you could say, let's add some center back depth and quality. I don't know if that actually changes things because as much as you're not crazy about Tiago Silva, I think he's done a lot to help that back line. If it hasn't been for his physical contribution, it's been with his experience in organizing the line. And I'm sure Zuma's learning uh, so many valuable um, lessons from him. So I think he adds a lot there. I don't know, again, and every team's in the market for a center back, so I don't know what they can do there. The other rumor that's been going on, I mean, it's not rumor, it's been pretty obvious, and they tried to get him this past summer, and I don't think it's realistic to get him in this winter as Declan Rice as a uh, defensive midfielder. I just don't think there's – one, I don't think bringing him in actually gives him a significant push because their issue right now is scoring goals and that chemistry up top. So I don't think that would actually help them for the last stretch of the season, but it's definitely you. It's everyone's expecting Chelsea to open up the books for him come this summer. Do you, so I, I really don't know. I don't think there's much for them to do in this January window that could actually help them. I think they just need to figure out what's their best front three and have them play more matches than not together to build up that chemistry. Couldn't agree more. And likewise, in trying to think about this, it came down to adding players won't help them. They already have a ton of defenders on the books that they're trying to ship out. And we've always said that this is their issues are, are all about chemistry. So they just need to spend a lot more time with each other. They're starting 11 or 18 and get more comfortable with their games, figure out what best positioning is, who their best front three is and leave it at that. Adding players will not help that. It will only hurt that. Yeah. Okay, moving on. We got Tottenham next. Budget, I think it's, again, another one. ESPN reported as minimal, so it would need sale of players. I think probably the most obvious one that they'd like to get rid of is Deli Alley. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other players that uh, come to mind? There was talks of uh, just cutting Getson Fernandez's loan short, um, free up a little bit of salary, uh, and use that towards a potential transfer. But other than that, I, I don't really have anything. Yeah, and uh, as far as what their positional needs are, this one was another one that was tough for me, similar to what Ch- like Chelsea. So my thought process is it, they've made it known that they want another center back. Again, it's this theme, every single team wants a center back. They were tied to Skriniar in this past summer. Mm-hmm. That'd be a big transfer, so I don't expect it to happen this January. And then, honestly, I, I think they have the personnel that they need to be a top-flight team. I I, I think it's the style of play that's holding them back. So in my head, I wanted to say they need a midfielder that can help get the ball from the midfield to the front three so Kane and Song can do their thing. But they have that. And, and Dombele is capable of doing that. And it's just it, what it is. It's a style of play that Mourinho wants them to play. So I, yeah. I don't think they can bring in a midfielder that's going to be better at that than Dombele in this window. And then the only other one would be a right wing because I think they're pretty happy with Wine, but he's I think he's kind of just like a, a pace guy um, yeah 
So if they're cool with that, that's fine. If they want someone with a little bit more technical ability, that's maybe an area they, they could address because I think that's the idea around Gareth Bale, but it just hasn't worked out so far. Maybe it's too early to, to call it quits, but he did just pop up with an injury, um, which is sort of his MO uh, and a calf injury is supposed to be out at least a couple of weeks. So it's only going to slow down any progress that he has potentially made. Um, so that's, that's the only other spot that I could see them that if they, they really want to consider an upgrade at. Yeah, I, I agree. I think um, a little bit, of, a bit more of wing coverage because of Gareth Bale's injury woes. Um, and then, yeah, Mourinho's been very adamant about getting a little bit more coverage behind behind Harry Kane. So maybe adding somebody else that can fill in in that that striker role may also be able to play on the wings. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a couple ideas. One, and this 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 would definitely be able to be done in January because he wants out of PSG. PSG want to be done with him. Julian Draxler could be a wing presence, but you also look. You go into, say, Juventus, you could potentially get a loan deal for Bernadeschi, which would be interesting because he hasn't been playing much. I think he doesn't quite fit into Pirlo's, Pirlo's uh, system, but he needs run so that they may be able to sell him. Lastly, I think, or actually two more, one being Malcolm again. I think that he would be an interesting fit within a Mourinho system. I think, you know, his Brazilianness and him, him speaking Portuguese. I think Mourinho does really well with Portuguese players. And then the last one being David Neres uh, at Ajax. I think that would be more of a straight buy, but could be an interesting move. Oof. You better hope we don't have any uh, Portuguese or Brazilian listeners because you just basically said they're two of the same. Probably wouldn't fly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. However. Okay. No, however. Cutting you off. Saving yourself. Okay. All right. <laughs> Moving on. We got last and least Manchester city, their budget bottomless. So if there is going to be a big, big time signing transfer, this window, I guess man city is probably odds on favor to, to, to have it. So for me, the, the obvious one for me, based on their form so far this season is they could use a, a striker. I obviously, ideally a long-term solution, you know, they, they've been recently tied to Erling Holland. I don't know how realistic that is. That would be the, the dream for them. That's not going to happen in January if it's going to happen at all. So my thought more is just get a short-term experience, find to be past their prime player, but knowing that when they're in the box, they're putting the ball in the back of the net because that's what they're lacking right now. They're getting into the box, no problem, but no one can put it away. Gabriel Jesus is supposed to be that guy. He's supposed to be the future. He might still be the future, but just he's not cutting it right now. Aguero's just coming back from injury. He's out of contract after this season. So just having another option in general, at least to get through this season, would be important. And for me, I mean, so the mold that I'm thinking is a player like Giroud, right? This guy, if he gets a touch on the ball in the box, it seems like it's going to go in at least half the time, which is quite a high conversion rate. They're obviously not going to get Giroud because – Lampard would be idiotic to sell him to City. I mean, it would make City probably title favorites, uh, maybe right behind Liverpool if they did that, in my opinion. An interesting one could be uh, Diego Costa, now that he's available. And then the other one that I've... I, this wasn't my idea, but I've read about is potentially like a Ben Yedder from Monaco coming over. 
But that's pretty much all I had. I think they need to address the striker position. Their defense has been lights out this year. They still have De Bruyne in, in the midfield. They have a few midfield pieces that they can mix and match if they want to go conservative or more attacking. Um, so really, it's just addressing that that striker that can actually put the ball in the back of the net. The one thing I need to add to that, and actually a stipulation to the Diego Costa idea, I had the same idea, and I don't know how true this is, but apparently there's a stipulation in his uh, contract termination with Atletico that almost bars him from going to any competitor, they say, or Mm. any rival. So whether that means just a La Liga rival rival or a Champions League rival, and the stipulation was that he would then have to pay pay Atletico back 15 million euros or something like that. Got it. So that would certainly bar him from making that move. But I could see him being the an incredible fit under Pep in, in, in this, this city lineup. Got it. All right. That's going to do it for the transfer window segment. That was fun. I like it that. was fun. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's fun to play GM. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we'll, we kept it somewhat realistic too. Yeah, I, you know, we could have been worse. Yeah. Okay. So let's move on. We're gonna start to wrap up this episode. Before we do so, we need to get into match week seventeen. Switching up a little bit this week, we're just really gonna highlight the notable matches that we think are are key to really what's going to be sort of shaping up the table. So first off, we got Manchester United for Aston Villa. Big time match this Friday. Aston Villa very much in form. Manchester United, I mean, they're second in the league now, so they're potentially pushing for title contention. It's not a pretty second in the league, though. Right. Right, which means there's more upside. Okay, so what are your predictions? I think it's going to be a 2-2 draw. Ooh, okay. I got 2-1 United because... Because. You know. (laughs) All right, next up, we got Tottenham versus Leeds, and I'll have to say, this one is really hard for me to figure out how it's going to play out in my head. Um, Ultimately, I'm going 2-1 Tottenham. I, I mean, this could go any number of ways. So it will be interesting, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But um, I also go two two draw. Okay, the, I will say the 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 analysis I've had I have on this is that uh, one leads tends to struggle with any teams that are playing in a low block. Um, you know, you look at the West Brom result and say, well, what about that? But they conceded super early with an own goal, so then West Brom was sort of forced to start playing up and stretch out a little bit, and Leeds just dominated after that point. Tottenham. Very good at playing in the low block and hitting you on the counter. On top of that, relative to Leeds, Tottenham's a little bit rested because their match got postponed. And Leeds just played a bunch of matches in a row. They play fast. They're basically were just every other day, they just had to go and run wind sprints for basically uh, an hour and a half. So I think Tottenham might be a little bit more fresh, and I think they can, uh, they can weather the storm of Leeds and, and, get, out and get the win. Okay, Chelsea versus City, match of the weekend. What do you got, Bones? This might be a sentimental play, but I'm going Chelsea 2-1. I think – I don't think Werner gets on the scoreboard, but I think Chelsea snaps out of their funk. Okay, uh, this one was tough for me because I don't really know the details of the COVID outbreak uh, that's going on with Manchester City right now and what that means for their personnel. If their key players are still good to go, then they're coming off 
a postponed match, meaning they, they have some rest. And I think that does go a long way, uh, especially in this time of year. So true. I, I have city, but I don't feel good about it. <laughs> I'll say city. I'll say city one. nil. I think city's defense has been phenomenal and Chelsea's Chelsea can't score. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. I don't expect there to be a lot of goals in this one. South Southampton versus Liverpool. Yeah, this is going to be a tough match. Obviously, both coming off of dropping points, both kind of dragging to the finish line. I think Liverpool wins 2-1 just because I think Southampton is closer to E than Liverpool is. But it's 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 close. Yeah. I I want to support Southampton in this one, obviously. Liverpool is just Jekyll and Hyde right now. They'll drop points to Newcastle, but then they'll, you know, step up, beat Tottenham, no problem. Well, not no problem. Let me I take that back. But they'll also beat Palace by a million goals. So I think this might be a bounce back and they kind of flex their their muscles and I think it's a, a Liverpool three three nil. Hmm. All right. So last thing we're going to wrap up with is uh, something new we're going to start doing just because this is what we've been kind of chatting about and it's right in my wheelhouse. But we're going to talk a little bit about bets that we like for the week. So we're going to do it quickly. Bets that I like for the week. I was looking at West Brom versus Arsenal and Arsenal's favorite in this. I don't buy it. I like the idea of a draw plus 325. So I lock that in. And then I mentioned in my picks that I, I have City outright, but I'm really concerned about the COVID cases. So I don't really know. I don't know where the value sits on that. So I'm, I'm avoiding that. And then I like the Fulham win over Burnley at plus 255. What do you got, Bones? I agree with all of those. And I have three that I categorize under, I don't mind it. So from my picks, I have, both United Villa as well as Tottenham Leeds drawing and United Villa drawing at plus 330. I just think that they're playing much more even despite what the standings may say. I think they're playing much more even right now, and I, I think that's going to be a, a gritty match. Mm-hmm. And again, Tottenham Leeds, who knows? Who knows which way, which direction the, the match is going to go? But at plus 310, I think a draw is, is a really fair, fair bet. And then lastly... Everton, uh, West Ham, drawing plus 260. I think both teams are just kind of, again, crawling to the finish line here. Um, and, and Everton without James has a lot less originality and, and, and creativeness. And without that, you don't necessarily know where the, the goals are going to come from. So uh, I think that a draw is much more likely than an outright win. Yeah. Okay. That's going to do it for episode 12. We survived the holiday fixture list. I'm exhausted, so I can only imagine what players are feeling like right now. Big, there are big matches this weekend, so tune in on Tuesday next week to get Match Week 17 full recap. And yeah, if you're still here, then we would love for a subscribe, a follow, a rating on Apple. Any of that would be fantastic. And yeah, that's going to do it for us. So for Bones, I'm Trevor. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. <laughs>